Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show, a weekly podcast where artists and performers go to chat about nothing. Hosted by Canadian singer-songwriter Todd Donald. So I know that it's in the intro, but let me say hello and welcome. I am, of course, Todd Donald. And while it says we talk about nothing, that's both naturally a reference to Seinfeld and that the conversations are part interview, part me bouncing my thought process off the guest, and part open-ended, which allows for us to go off the rails, but in a good way. On a personal note, for those who listen often to TTS, my partner and I have been in the Arctic, Joe Haven, Nunavut, together since the beginning of January 2020, and she has a teaching contract there. The semester ended a few weeks ago. We flew back into Ontario earlier this month to visit the summertime warmth, to revisit family and friends safely, to revisit paved roads and driving our cars. If you could only imagine there's grass and trees here and nothing but permafrost in the Arctic and minus 60 winter surviving buildings pumped full of dry heat, which is beautiful in its own way. But as of Tuesday morning, June the 23rd, our two-week quarantine was over. And what it's been like, even here when there's COVID and restrictions, is an exotic and beautiful experience. To drive my car on a sunny day, drinking a cold brew coffee, and listening to music with bass, it's just stellar, and there's less than a month of that left for me, so high five, I guess. So this podcast episode is very special to me. It's episode 75, and I don't think there's any real significance to quarters or multiples of 25. For me, it's more like tens and hundreds. But the reason this episode is special to me is twofold. There's a 5 to 12-year-old me that got to talk to one of their favorite all-new Mickey Mouse clubbers. True story. More importantly, as an adult now, I can't help but admire the Lindsay Alley, lifelong performer, an extremely talented actor and singer, whose grace and showmanship is equally matched by their kindness and candor, as this interview is evidence of. I've started adding YouTube playlists to the arsenal of the show, so if you follow the Facebook or my YouTube page to build the anticipation of episodes, there's a Lindsay Alley Review playlist where you can already have seen the multitude of work so far. To summarize that, she has a solo cabaret theater act. Visit her website. It's called Blood, Sweat, and Mouseketeers, and I've enjoyed all the clips and video footage of that with love. I love that kind of show, and we'll be talking about that. There's some MMC stuff too, and another thing on that playlist that I love but didn't have the gumption to go over in our conversation, a video series called On the Patio, which is a hilarious chat show with Lindsay and her mom. Aside from that last one I forgot, uh, you'll hear us chat about what it was like being the little girl who was raised by a hardworking nurse and police officer and film musicals on television, who became a career professional. And I could go on, but I'll leave the rest to Lindsay and I. How about that? So submitted for your approval, as well as likes, comments, positive reviews, and subscription data, recorded in May and presented to you now. Although I can't see you, please give a warm welcome to Lindsay Alley. How's your quarantine going? Are you grateful for the time with your family or extremely drained or a mix? I think it's a mix. I think it's definitely a mix. I mean, there are some days where I wake up and I I feel super positive and I'm like, I've got this. I'm going to achieve so much today. I am going to cross all of my quarantine goals off the list. And then there are other days I wake up and I just think, would it be okay to put kettle one on my frosted flakes was would that would that be weird 
Like, <laughs> should I phone a friend? So, I mean, like I'm all over the place, but certainly happy for the time with my husband and my child. Although I don't think anyone should really be around <laughs> her spouse and kid this much. Um, <laughs> there is a limit. There is a limit to, to, to all this love, but <laughs> no, we're grateful for the time. And also eager to see what life on the other side of this looks like. And right. mostly just excited to go have a martini in a restaurant that someone mm-hmm. else made. You know what I mean? To sit at a bar with other people and go see a show. I, I, I don't know. I just, but will any of this be real on the other side? It's just up and down, highs and lows, peaks and valleys. Well, I think it's absolutely true that it's not going to be you know, as good as it gets, it's definitely going to be quite different. Yeah. One thing that occurs to me with performers and artists especially is, and a lot of saying a similar thing, that it, it seems to be like a time of recognizing or reckoning with our identities and how much of them are wrapped up, not only in what we do, but the engagement with it. Totally. I don't know if you've experienced this, but in the early days of this, I was like, Ugh there might be nothing to go back to. I mean, when will we sit shoulder to shoulder again? I need to Mm. do something else. And like, I felt, I don't know, I've had my battles with show business for years. It's so manic, it feels like. It really is highs and lows, peaks and valleys. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning of this, I was sort of grappling with, do I still want to do this? Is this important enough to me? Should I just find some pandemic proof gig so I can always feed my kid? Do I need to go to nursing school? Like, I don't know. It, I was really struggling at the beginning thinking I just didn't want to do this anymore. Looking at all these other options and talking about it and meditating and soul searching <laughs> and all the things. Really what I've come to is, no, this is who I am. This is what I do. Storytelling is so important. It is a noble profession and I'm getting chills while I'm saying this, but as the time has ticked on and the weeks have gone by, I've gotten really itchy to be on stage again and connect with an audience and be creative with writers and musical directors. And I'm, I'm jonesing for it again. So, and it's all I think about. You know, someone once told me if you wake up thinking about it and you go to bed thinking about it, then you should probably you should probably do that thing. That's where I've come back to. So very long-winded answer, but I've basically traveled all of the COVID emotions and back again. Right. So well yeah. as a conscientious, I don't know if that's the right word, but as an affectionate fan or observer or whatever, I certainly think that one couldn't deny how freakishly talented you are have been and knowing one one of the things that that I just adore the most is how you knew so young in life I'm a performer that and I, I kind of want to unpack that with you a little bit if you don't mind certainly certainly it is weird to sort of think gosh I've been doing this since I was six I mean I have spent my entire life doing it dreaming about it thinking about it sometimes having a lot of success with it and other times not. I I so appreciate what you said. That's so sweet. It's so not how I see myself. (laughs) I think we all, we all have some tormented part of us. That's like, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm useless. I'm worthless. I, I don't, I have not made a difference. I don't mean anything like, you know, we've, we've all gone through these things in our 
hearts and in our minds. But it is weird to think that I've spent my whole life in this business. It's bizarre. I could put it this way. I think the reason that I'm astonished by it in in the best possible ways, I think for singer-songwriters in particular, just that one group, the introverted, ignited at puberty. Yeah. Our stage presence is we don't have any stage presence. (laughs) I don't know anyone who was both talented or I'm going to use the term devoted. (laughs) Okay. I'll take it. The little girl that I saw on YouTube singing... It was a gospel telephone, I think. I oh my gosh, yes, that's <laughs> Lindsay Alley Greatest Hits, Volume One. <laughs> I of course say that in jest, but yeah, it was the PTL Network. Okay, uh, yeah, the Praise the Lord Network. I think we should all take a moment to Google that. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Like, I wish I had a fraction of the fearlessness now that I possessed then, mm. and I think. Kids are so just so much better at playing and make believing and being fearless and being in the moment than adults are. As uh, adults, we just dissect everything and analyze everything to death and sometimes zap the joy and self sabotage and all the stuff. So, I think if I could get back to that place, what a freeing, lovely place to be, just being (laughs) that kid who loved to perform and loved to have an audience. And not that I don't now, but a lot of it is riddled with anxiety and crazy nerves. And and the stakes feel higher every year as the calendar pages sort of fly away. I just feel like, mm-hmm. oh, oh my gosh, it's never going to happen. <laughs> Nothing's ever going to happen. You know, it's one of those businesses that's also like, I have to stop thinking about it like this sprint. It's a marathon. You know, I'm in it for the long run for the long haul. Yeah. People say you can't knock the hustle. I I disagree with that. I don't think the hustle is fun at all. I can knock it all day long. Yeah. The hustle I, I battle with daily. And I do think there's a very, very big difference in being an actor and a storyteller than being in show business. You know what I mean? It's like right. two very separate mindsets that have to be attended to daily it's almost like you have to divorce yourself from one of those before you can work on the other. Like I try to do something for my career every day, even if it's taking the day off consciously, just like not thinking about it. But I have found that it's very hard for me to be back and forth between like thinking about a scene or a song or a script or some piece of writing that I'm working on and having my brain that way and then shifting over to, oh, I I have to submit on Actors Access and I have to reach out to that person and send this person a a resume and a press kit and a bleh. And I find that stuff is not effortless at all. And it's riddled with like ick factor. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm so jealous of people who do all of it so fluidly. It's not a talent of mine. But you know what? I'm going to keep working at it. <laughs> I'm going to keep keep showing up and trying to do it. But I guess what I'm saying is I just want a little bit of that little girl fearlessness back and a little bit of that, you know. Ignorance. <laughs> yes. That like delightful ignorance. It It really is. That's exactly what it is. Mm. But I did watch a lot of movie musicals growing up. Um, that's what my mom would put on the TV for me on Saturday mornings. Uh, so really it's her fault. Let's just blame her. (laughs) It's important to assign blame and she, (laughs) she deserves it. She's the one who got me into all this musical theater nonsense. I am definitely curious about that though. Like you 
at this point, we're just meeting the idea that, you know, what are they doing? What, what is that called? Singing act? What, why am I being moved by this? Why, why do I want to be a part of that? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's obviously in your guts. It's just mm. a, a feeling that lights up and ignites. I think all actors can probably, you know, pinpoint when that moment was. And, and I joke about my mom, like my mom and dad were not in show business, are not in show business. Uh, my mom was a nurse and my dad was a cop. And the, they, they made the mistake of putting these like movie musicals on for me when I was a little kid. It obviously stirred up something in my little heart at that age. And I wouldn't stop singing and stop, you know, I think I memorized the, the entire, uh, the entire script of all of these shows that I watched movies. Um, for me personally, it, that fire sort of just started early and it kind of went from there. Mm -hmm. My parents also took my brother and me to the theater really early we had a, a professional dinner theater in our hometown. It wasn't just the movies, although that was a big part, but as soon as we could sort of sit up in a chair and behave, they took us to the theater. And I remember sitting on the front row and being so close to the actors and being so wowed and moved by what they did. And I had a real, I can do that feeling inside me. I can do that. I, I, I want to do that. I think then I got to just be really annoying to my parents after that. <laughs> I want to do that. You have to take me to an audition. <laughs> and of course they were like, oh my God, who is this kid? But yeah. So No, you should you should become a cop or a nurse because one day those will be essential services. Essential services. <laughs> be an essential person for God's sake. Yes, I know. Oh, There's a my. funny little link here because I don't want to talk about myself in this wonderful opportunity I have, but... I've been in love with theater my whole life. I've worked in it, but I've never been a theater performer. I've stuck to the, I'm a brooding, emotional singer-songwriter thing. But when I saw the first play I ever saw, and this was just after this summer camp program, some of the other people who were in the program got cast in this play. I was eight years old. It was Annie. Oh, My mind was blown. <laughs> I didn't think I could be a part of it, but it really hit home that, oh, I, I knew someone a week ago and they're doing this amazing thing in front of me. And that was, I believe, the first play that you were in. Yes. Well, it was like the third show that I did. I did The Sound of Music and then King and I. No, it's the fourth. And then... I should have asked that first. God damn it. <laughs> it's totally fine. Yeah, it was, it was kind of the one, though, at that age, that's what I had my eye on from five years old on. Right. But yeah, Sound of Music, King and I, really rosy. And then Annie, I did Annie twice. But just to circle back to that feeling that you had for a second, even if you didn't think you wanted to be on the stage you could tell you wanted to be a part of the world somehow, mm -hmm. right? It's an indescribable feeling. I would imagine it's the same for people who are stage managers or- Props, costumes, anything. <laughs> props, costumes, what? writers, producers. Yeah. Some people just want to produce, but it doesn't matter. The magic of it will suck you in in some way. It's not always going to be on stage, but- there is a magic that I think surrounds this, this industry and this profession that 
is intoxicating. We're like junkies. We just like can't stop with the show business. So, <laughs> or with the the stories and the songs, whatever, whichever way you want to look at it. Well, I want to take a little bit of a look at your life during MMC because I feel like even though I was a huge fan of it and still remains in my heart, I'm a fan of it. I feel like the show and the inside scoops have like you've delivered them on stage and there's been interviews before, but I don't want to club the horse. Yeah. <laughs> Beat the dead dog. Yes. Or, yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining all those here on Dateline. It wasn't all sunshine and rainbows right. and Mickey Mouse ears. I'm curious when during the year was it being taped? Because I'm just interested in how this interplayed with uh, your education. Uh, 89 to 94. So we shot the pilot when I was 10 and mm-hmm. then we wrapped when I was 16. So I spent Mm -hmm. basically my entire childhood on this show. I mean, I say this to people all the time who want the inside scoop. I mean, there really aren't any hardcore salacious tales. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't like the Brady Bunch. No. And I, you know, in a way, in some sick, twisted way, I wish there was a bit, (laughs) a bit of that. So I'd have better stories and a bit more drama, but it was really a pretty great experience. I mean, it wasn't perfect. Nothing is ever perfect, but it was pretty close to perfect. I got to grow up on a show with a bunch of other really awesome kids. Mm -hmm. And I got to do exactly what I love to do. Granted, my awkward years were completely captured and (laughs) and (laughs) documented for all time. It wasn't some of my best (laughs) times, but... I mean, living them would be hard enough. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, with no boobs and braces and (laughs) (laughs) all the awkward stuff. Did you feel like you were missing out on what the experience of those years would have been? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, we all went to school. We went to school on set three and a half hours every day. I'm sure all of the rules have changed now about on-set education. I remember we had a handful of really great teachers and one guy in particular named Chuck Yerger, who was just fantastic. But basically the the idea was we started shooting around April and we shot through the entire summer so they could capitalize on all of us not having to be in school. Right. And then we would wrap up production usually in October. So we would always kind of end a school year and then start a new school year. So we'd have to like, take the work from our hometown schools. So we were kind of on track with our classmates when we went back and we, you know, that's kind of how it went. But look, you're you're just going to miss something if you're going to school three and a half hours a day. Right. I've always had feelings about that. I've always been a little insecure about I, it's just a lot of basic shit that I should know. I missed a lot of like really important world history stuff, basic math that I still don't feel confident about. I mean, look, I went to college, I graduated, I, but I always had to work a little harder than everybody else because there was there just, you know, holes. <laughs> there right. were holes. I'm still so grateful that I had this amazing opportunity that I will take being a dum-dum in certain areas of my life to have had this opportunity. But there are moments where my husband will bring something up and I'll go, what? When did that happen? And he's like, oh my God, how do you not know that? How do you not know (laughs) that Iran is Persia? Anyway, I sometimes have... Sorry. (laughs) 
Just, just say like, you know, you can take life experience to the grave, all right? You can't take a PhD. You can't take equations. I know. That's true. I mean, one of my favorite Mickey Mouse Club stories was we had this very, very sweet executive producer, this wonderful man named Steve Clemens. And I said I was so bad in math. I'm still bad in math. I was bad in math then. It's never been my thing. My brain doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. I think I was about 12 and I took a math test on set and I failed it. It wasn't even a question. Like it was a full on fail. And I was so devastated. I went into the bungalow where all the production offices were and I crawled under one of the desks in the front. I just wanted to hide. Oh boy. And I was just so embarrassed and so devastated. And I, I can still picture myself under this desk. Steve Clemens got word that I was having a moment, a little 12-year-old girl embarrassed that I failed a test moment. And he crawled on the floor in his three-piece suit, sat cross-legged across from me. And he looked at me and he's like, Lindsay, I have to just be real with you about something. You're never going to need to know this as an actor. You're just not going to need to know. Get the basics, learn how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide, and then hire an accountant. Perfect. And I was like, now that's life advice that we can take. So, yeah. Anyway, it might be a little dim in some areas, but at least I can laugh about it. And there is the internet. So, if I don't know something now, I just do like a quick, very discreet Google, and there's my answer. And, uh, you know, I have this interesting childhood story to tell. So, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) You and Ricky Luna were my favorites. Oh, Ricky. And I wrote a fan club letter asking my childhood brain at work thought, do you think it's possible that Lindsay and, and Ricky could adopt me as their little brother? Oh. Is Alana married? And <laughs> But I got well, sent back a Al- very... Sorry? I was going to say Alana is married. I'm sorry to say. But she wasn't as a child. But she wasn't as a child. <laughs> I think that's so sweet. What did they send back? I got a really cool edition of the club magazine that I treasured and have not seen since the 90s. Oh. And I'm very sorry. To myself. Oh, well, I'm sure we could find something on eBay. If not, we can look in my parents' attic. I will see if my parents have one in their attic and I will send it to you. The internet solves all of our adult problems. This is great. Exactly. Yeah. I want to know, I should get an F for not knowing what this means, graduating with honors mean, because you graduated in 2000 from U of Missouri. In 2000, yes. Yes. University of Missouri, Columbia. It just means like you didn't have C's and passing grades the whole time. It means like you're a bit of a dorky overachiever and mostly had A's and B's. So if you are a mostly A student in college, then you get to graduate with honors. This was for a a Bachelor of Arts in Theater. And I think that's fantastic because I wonder what sense of yourself you had coming out of that. I've done some stuff and now... Now that I've gone back to Obi-Wan Kenobi or whatever, and I've really harnessed my Jedi skills. Yeah. Was it like you were ready to take on the world or you just felt better with the craft? Uh, That's a terrible form of questioning. No, I know what you mean. This is a safe place, right? I can kind of talk about anything. I mean, here's the thing. You don't really have to go to college to be an actor, to be a good actor. You don't. You really don't. You have to be an interested person. You have to be a curious person. You have to be curious about life and other people and other people's stories. And that curiosity is what I think makes good actors good actors, not mm-hmm. not knowing every single fact in the theater history book. 
But I think just to circle back to, there were big holes of my kind of formative education that, well, there were big holes in my formative, in my early education. I also feel like I missed out on a lot of milestones and like I missed school dances and I missed like things that my peers were doing that I, you know, I just didn't get to do because I was on set, you know, I had this whole other grown up life. I just wanted to feel like a kid for a second. Like I wanted to feel like a real college student, which is another reason I didn't go to a conservatory or like a really fancy schmancy school. I wanted to have like a real collegiate experience and get a liberal arts education. So I would sort of be forced to go and take, you know, science and English 101. And it wasn't all about show business. Mm. Um, I often think what would have happened if I hadn't gone to college? Like if I had just moved to New York or LA right out of high school when I had all that momentum going from my childhood, but I don't think I would have been emotionally ready. And I certainly wouldn't have these amazing friendships that I have now. And thirdly, I wouldn't have the stage experience that I had in college, which proved to be more valuable than anything. Like in four years, I think I got to do 17 main stage productions. That's amazing. Maybe it wasn't that many. Maybe it was like 14 or 15. I don't remember. But I got a lot of stage time. And we all took a turn like running some other part of a show. So everybody got a chance to see every angle of the theater and to understand the importance of every person's role in the theater, that kind of stuff, you can't put a price on. Oh, absolutely. So if I say, gosh, I wonder if I had zigged instead of zagged, what's the point? Like this was the right path for me at the time. And it still feels, I'm still so grateful for like my college professor, Jim Miller and my friends and the kids who I went through that program with, I had a great time and it, Mm. Just having gone to college, I feel like is an experience that I can draw on now. Again, not that you need to, because acting is make-believe. You can, you can imagine anything. You can right. imagine what it would be like to go to college. But it is a very treasured memory. And I'm very grateful that I went and could cross it off my list in terms of like life goals. Blood, Sweat, and Musketeers had in a certain way, different iterations. Was Look Ma, No Ears? Right. Was that the first iteration? Actually, believe it or not, the first iteration was in college. I I did a show called Like It Is. Right. And I wrote that in a playwriting class in college. And then we took some ideas from that. A friend of mine who was actually one of the writers on the Mickey Mouse Club, who I remained friends with for years after, who I'm still friends with, we took some sort of snapshots from that kind of one person thing and adapted them into this show that was more about my experience on the Mickey Mouse Club and how it sort of altered my outlook on life and hopes and dreams moving forward. From there, it was a show with a lot of multimedia effects and lots of cool stuff. And a guy who books talent for gay cruises saw it and said, oh, can you bring this on a ship? And I just knew I wouldn't be able to because I I would have to have somebody there running the show. It, it was going to have to, it would have been really, you know, cumbersome and expensive. I said, no, I can't bring that show, but I have this like solo cabaret act that I can bring, which I didn't. That was a total lie. I just thought, what a great opportunity to write something. So I did. So that's kind of how it went. 
you know, college and then look ma no ears with my friend Steve Weiner and Bob Stein. And then my friend David Sexton was the one who came up with this great title, Blood, Sweat, and Mouseketeers. And what's so great about that is I have the hook of this title, this Mouseketeers thing in the title, but the show can kind of always change if I want it to. You know, it will have that Mickey right. Mouse Club through line and story, but I can always talk about whatever's going on in my life. It's a living show. Yeah, exactly. It's a living, breathing show. And in a way, in a pandemic, it's not the worst thing in the world to have a one-person act. You know what I mean? Right. So, I mean, I don't have to socially distance myself from anyone else on stage. So there you go. That was a very subtle plug for my show. <laughs> Book my solo show, which is socially distant friendly. If I have a list of sad things, uh, this is one of my sad things that I didn't get a chance to see this show live. Uh, there's nothing more than experiencing it live. Let me phrase that sentence better. I edit this so I, I can make us both sound perfect. You're going to make me sound smart, right? You have to make yes. me sound smart. I'm, <laughs> oh my gosh. E equals MC square. You were telling me that's amazing. I know. <laughs> That's exactly right. I was just telling you about the meaning of life. Right. Oh, according to the great philosophers. Right. Monty Python. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. I think I'm just trying to say that I'm sad that I haven't gotten to see it live. I have seen a number of parts on YouTube, of course. There's this thing called YouTube, which is, yeah. is not yeah. the same as being there. No. The way things sound when you're hearing someone sing in the room is much, much more amazing. But the YouTubes aren't making it sound bad. It's just not the same thing. And I hope, you know, if there's if there's one reason, if there's one reason I want this pandemic to be over is I will find a way to see it live one day. And can, oh. you, can you tell my audience, um, all three of them, what Blood, Sweat, and Musketeers is? <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Did you want me to tell them what? I'm sorry, I was, I was laughing at you, so I didn't hear the question. I think the best description of what the show Blood, Sweat, and Musketeers is would be delivered by you. You know, it's so hard to describe. It's a cabaret act, essentially. It's a club act with a lot of comedy. It's almost like stand-up with it's show tunes and dirty jokes. That's mm. really what it is. It's show tunes and, and dirty jokes and stories about my husband and my kid, my parents and my brother, and what it's like to have had a lot of success early on and how that kind of warped my mind just a little bit in terms of expectations mm. and managing those expectations now as an adult, because those expectations haven't gone anywhere. They're alive and well, but it's like, how do you deal with your version of happily ever after uh, right. when it's different from what you thought it was going to be? Does that make sense? It does. Okay, good. Good. Not to sound like, um, like I'm on weed, but <laughs> I feel like it's something that no matter what experiences, it's just a natural part of life. Like I sometimes want to make sure that I'm practicing how to be happy no matter what my circumstances. And at you know 35, totally. and I still have daydreams every time I go to work. What if somehow, how would this play out that I got to meet someone that I've always wanted to collaborate with? And then I skyrocketed to fame. Every day I'm skyrocketing to fame in some way in my fantasy. But it's not necessarily, right. it's still healthy and, and fun to, to dream. And, and it's not a bad thing to want things. It's, uh, it's just otherwise, what's man. the point? Like, right. exactly. And by the way, visualization is very important. I fully mm -hmm. believe in all of that. As my husband calls it, all that woo-woo shit. But <laughs> that woo-woo shit is really important. You have to sit quietly with yourself. 
visualize what you want your life to look like. And then you have to work to make it happen. And there are some days the vision's not there at all. The dreams are cloudy. But like when I sit down and I'm, you know, I allow myself not to judge myself for five seconds. Like it's very clear, like what I want. And it's pretty simple. I want to entertain people. Like that's, that's my purpose. I'm here to make people happy from the stage. That's, I know that's what I'm supposed to do, whatever form that takes. As long as I'm not taking my clothes off, I think it's okay. (laughs) Um, Because no one would want to see that. I, I digress. I just think it's really important to have those dreams. Otherwise, what are we all doing here? It's kind of like a wish your heart makes. A dream is a wish your heart makes. Yeah, I guess it's a wish fulfillment piece, but mostly it's show tunes and dirty jokes. We're not going to get too heady and too... Uh, I forgot that we were talking about the show. We were getting deep there. <laughs> uh, we were getting deep. I liked it. I liked it. But yeah, I don't want to get too cerebral with the whole like definition of what the show is. It's a, it's a fun hour and 10 minutes in the theater. I love other people's stories so much. And I love the way I feel when someone else tells me a story that I can see so yeah. so clearly and so vividly. And so that's what I want my audience to feel. I want them to feel that they've been like wrapped up in a blanket of really good storytelling with a lot of laughs and good singing. I think that storytelling is... I'm not the first person to think this, but storytelling is one of the most important things in life. It's especially wonderful to have to be in front of someone who has a lot of showmanship and a lot of vocal talent, who has a great story. And if it's a living story, then that's even better. Yeah. It's nice that it just kind of continues. You have a vehicle for it, yeah. which is good. And I, I definitely think, God, if the scientists are over there <laughs> figuring things out, I think that you should find a way uh, during this whole thing yeah, to put your talent out there. I just have to say, though, I struggle with that because I'm watching all of my friends and colleagues doing their shows on Zoom. And I'm so scared to do it. And I i mean, like, I wouldn't mind posting bits of live performances here and there, but I'm so scared to do a live show on Zoom because I so need that interaction from the audience. I live for that. I need the people out there in the dark. I need an audience. It's did, just... did you ever hear those stories about Rodney Dangerfield on the set of Caddyshack? No, no, but I love him so much. Every time he told the joke, there was not an audience laughing, obviously, because they're filming it. He's like, I'm dying out here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious, as a performer, how hard are you on yourself? Do you have like the strict standard and the, some nights you feel like, oh man, I took a shit on stage. Have you met me, Todd? Have we... Uh- I have not had the pleasure yet, no. But you you know me now from this phone call. I am my worst critic. It's actually something I'm working on with a therapist right now. Um, because like, I have to work to focus on the good things that happened in a show. Right. As soon as I walk off the stage, I will pick and pick and pick mm-hmm. a performance apart to the point where I will decide that it was a terrible show when that is not the experience that the audience had. Right. And that could have been better. And that wasn't sung perfectly. And that was flawed. And I, I went up on a lyric there and I forgot that story there. I will find so many ways of how things went wrong. And it's another thing that I'm working on as an adult. Cause I just 
don't want to live my life like that anymore. Because that's another joy zapper, is what I was trying to say. That type of criticism is just toxic and it doesn't help me grow to to beat myself. But uh, working on it and trying to reframe things in my mind all the time to stay in a a growth mentality. So I'm not constantly saying that sucked and I failed. (laughs) And also it's over. Everybody's left the parking lot. The only thing you can do is be prepared, be on time and do the best you can in the moment. And when I'm beating myself up after auditions and shows, I think to myself about shows that I've seen where other people were just being people on stage. And I, I know when they've tripped up on a lyric or if they have to stop the orchestra because they lost their place in the music, that makes me like them more. I'm more interested in the imperfect skate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah. So I don't know why I can't give myself the same grace sometimes, but I love all the nooks and crannies in other people's performances that make them interesting, real people. And yet I have to work on it every day. If I'm not perfect, it's not cool, but Life goals. It's a weird relationship to have with oneself. Like when, you know, the harsh critic has this advantage of being like, yeah, well, you, I am motivating you, (laughs) but also being aware of making so many people happy all the time. And you can't fake what you do on stage. That talent is real. It's not processed. It's not auto-tuned. It's live, you know? Yeah. And yet I'll find, I'll find ways to, uh, to pick it apart, but <laughs> you look for that one. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's totally, you look for that one thing and then that thing magnifies other things and it's silly, but you know, again, that's why, uh, that's why they made therapy and vodka. So, <laughs> well, yeah, you, you got the tools. So <laughs> I've got the tools. Yeah. 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 What else do you need? <laughs> oh Lord. From this conversation. And I already did. I think you're a wonderful person. Again, remarkably talented. And you get to choose between one of two versions of the same last question. Okay. One's just the basic words of wisdom or warning for the aspiring theater kids or performers of today. Or uh, Owen is your toddler. Owen. Mm-hmm. Say they reach the age of six or whatever age you were. And they discover they have a similar interest. And you have the experience mm-hmm. and knowledge of what you've lived and how you felt about it. How do you feel about taking them to their first audition? You know, there was a brief period when I was like, never, never will I ever allow my kids to go into show business. But, you know, the truth is, whether it's my kid or the neighbor's kid, who I was advising as a person who's been doing this a really long time, I would give the advice that, and I'm not being name droppy here. I did Annie at the Burt Reynolds dinner theater way back in the day. And we were good friends. And that quote actually comes from him. If you, if you go to bed thinking about it and you wake up thinking Mm. about it, then you should do it. I think my advice would be that if you're really serious about it, we're talking like if this goes beyond hobby, because I think everybody should have the experience of being in a show once or twice. Everybody should check that box because it's just fun. But if it gets to the point where somebody's like, no, I want to pursue this as a living, it's it's a different conversation because it involves a huge amount of sacrifice. It's very, very up and down. And I think even successful actors would tell you that, you know, it's not this steady climb to the top. It's highs and lows. It's 
lots of work and then valleys of nothingness. I often tell people that the auditions and the hustle, that's the work. The job is the vacation. That's when I'm hosting. That's when I'm delighting in things. And that's when I feel like I'm really living the life that I am here to live. But it, it requires a ton of sacrifice. It requires a lot of work. The training is expensive. The stuff, the pictures, the reels, and all the stuff that we buy to equip ourselves as professional actors ain't cheap. But if you have to do it, you have to do it. And I would tell that to the neighbor kid who wanted to go into the theater program at at a university. And I would also say that to my own son. I would always support whatever he, all jokes aside, I would support whatever he wanted to do, even if it was being an actor. (laughs) But I think if somebody had given me this little tiny piece of advice much earlier, and maybe they did and I just didn't hear it, the really important thing is to not try to figure out like where you fit in. Just do you. Because there's only one you. And that's the superpower. And it took me so long to realize that. And I kept going, what do they want? What do they want me to be here? What do they want this moment to be? What do they want? And I stopped doing that only recently. And I just got so much happier in auditions and in full productions of things when I stopped trying to do it like I think the director would want or the casting director. And I just think about it a lot and dream about this story a lot and then go do me, not do me, but you know what I mean? Like realize that my choices are are just fine because right. I'm just putting my spin on things. So that's the big advice that I would give to anybody is don't try to be something you're not. Embrace who you are and own it. Wow. I can't tell you how great it was to hear that. And for me, this was a great experience. I hope you had a good experience with- I did. It was so nice. Whatever I did. You were wonderful at this. And I know you have more than three listeners, Todd. You're so good at this. (laughs) You're so warm and engaging and we should have another conversation soon. This was so great. I was going to do something with the weather. Set the imaginary stage for the listener's mind. A sunny, tropical thing. That's in my mind. And I was going to say to you, cue the track. Now it's time to say goodbye to all our company. Aww, I'll take it. <laughs> you know, I, I guess as a creative and performer in my own right, with so much to learn and so much I don't know experience-wise from what it's like to work in America, let alone in showbiz, I definitely think... Uh, God damn it. Sorry. I started a profound sentence and I'm ruining... I'm wasting more of your time. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> You're not, it's okay. It's totally okay. I'm certainly on the side that thinks that you should be proud of everything you've done and uh, certainly the MMC, but to use the Beatles reference, once again, do you ever imagine Paul McCartney has a new album? He's been doing amazing solo work since the seventies and yet he still probably gets interviewed today by someone who's like, listen, we have 60 minutes. I understand you have a new album coming out. That's fantastic. We'll get to that at minute 55. Let's talk about what it was like to work with the legendary John Lennon. Yeah. Like there's this shadow. Yeah. I mean, talk about feeling like failure to thrive when (laughs) when your (laughs) colleagues are Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Christina Aguilera, Ryan Gosling, Gary Russell. It's a pretty intense class to come from. And I talk a lot about that in my show too, about kind of what it's like when people say, oh, what happened to you? (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Again, again, with the therapy and the 
and the vodka. It's helped right. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's all good. I'm really grateful to have had that experience. And we're all on our own tracks, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Well, the other half so. of the statement is that my my interest is that, you know, I'm talking to and I'm looking at someone, not literally, <laughs> who's very, very talented. I admire people for their talent. And uh, therapy vodka or 10 things you're grateful for every day, whatever it takes, don't... Whatever uh, it takes. Don't stop believing, as they say. Uh, you're going to make me cry, Todd. I'm so <laughs> hormonal right now. I am, I am so hormonal in this pandemic. You're going you're gonna to push me over the edge with thoughtful, lovely things like that. <laughs> Thank you so much. And honestly, I needed to hear that today because they're, you know... Again, with the back and forth right. of the all moods COVID. So thank you for that mm-hmm. boost. That was really generous. And, and I'm going to take it today because mm-hmm. I, I, need, I need that little bit of and I need loveliness. A, that was so nice. <laughs> You're welcome. More than welcome. And I need a break from talking to my volleyball Tom Hanks every once in a while. <laughs> nice to... So. <laughs> oh, Lord. To everyone listening, even before playing back our final goodbyes, I'd like to share a performance slash recording and properly introduce it to you. Available on the info, anywhere you find this podcast episode, it's written in full. And what I'll tell you is, it's a song, a wonderful song, both in its timelessness and comedy. Very well done. It's a song called Survival in New York, and it's from Lindsay's show, Look Ma, No Ears, written by Stephen Weiner and Lindsay Alley, music and lyrics by Bob Stein. Used with permission, this is Lindsay Alley singing Survival in New York. There's so many ways that you could wind up dead, and that must be true, because it's what my mother said. Don't go out at night, don't wear clothes too tight, always carry mace, and on your dinner dates, don't put a thing into your mouth that's not a fork. These are tips for your survival in New York. Get a blood test from each guy that holds your hand. Never use your tongue. And always use a dental dam. Meet on neutral ground with lots of cops around. Stay for just one drink and don't touch anything that's long and hard and doesn't have a cork. These are tips for your survival in New York. There are teeming shores, a huddled mass of pimps and whores. Drugs, sex, and alcohol And tons and tons of luminol You could wind up like John Belushi Or get a bad piece of sushi Or step on broken glass At your yoga class There's so many ways a person could be killed Get a metro card Then you better get a will Cause on the subway trains, everyone's deranged Don't take cabs alone, in fact just stay at home So unless you want your outline traced in chalk Use these tips for your survival in New York Russian mob and cattle calls for every job 
Auditioning for lousy scripts While dodging fire from plots and crypts And if you just can't get your break then You could move back to Lakeland And go to church Without a body search There's so many ways to wind up on a slab And that must be true Cause I heard it from my dad Looting everywhere Drive-by shootings there You want your biggest break Commit a crime on tape Cause actors get away with murder every day Oops That's a tip for survival in LA But now I've been here for a minute And my heart's completely in it And everyone can tell their loved ones That they don't need to pack the stun guns Cause from Bay Ridge to Spike and Dival, all you need for survival is a doorman and some decent mushu I may complain about it often, but the truth is, sealed up in a coffin is the only way I'd ever Thank you so freaking much for your time. I had a blast. You're so welcome. It was really, really nice and a lovely way to spend an hour on a Saturday afternoon. I'm very grateful that you reached out. It genuinely means so much to me. So thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show. Starring, produced, and edited by Todd Donald. The piano music in the rap is by J.P. Sunga who you can find at jpsunga.com. The theme music is Mackie Alkino by William Chernoff. Find him at chernoff.band. And I'm Milo Axelrod, Todd's favorite bar none human voice. And I'm not bragging, he wrote this. If you'd like to hear more of my voice, check out my podcast, Describing a Rock, in which I describe some rocks. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Please support The Todd Donald Show by sharing it with anyone who might enjoy it. Follow and interact with at Todd Donald Show on Twitter and Instagram. And if you feel like going the extra mile on iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review, preferably in its favor. Have a great day, friends. (laughs) 